Rachel Needle from Talking With Tech. And I'm Chris Bouguet from Talking With Tech. We have a podcast dedicated to augmentative and alternative communication, all things related to helping kids with complex communication needs. If you have a passion for helping people with language disabilities, this is the show for you. Each episode features an interview or a roundtable discussion on a topic related to augmentative communication and helping people with language disabilities. And we're really passionate about giving practical strategies to clinicians working in the field who are working with children or adults, anything related to AAC. So you can look us up on iTunes or you can find us on Facebook. We've got a group over there or check out our website at bit.ly slash TWT podcast. Please join our community of professionals that are working to ensure that everyone can say whatever they want to say, however they want to say it. Please listen carefully. What is communication? An essential behavior of life. We have the both blessing and responsibility of trying to foster another. It's the strongest way for two people to convey information to each other. Communication is a lifeline. It's just connection with other people. Connecting people in terms of ideas, thoughts, or needs. Draws us out of ourselves, draws us into that relationship, you know, builds up our families without it being lost. Whatever it is that we do to express intent and achieve an impact. Communication is the ability to express your needs, wants, frustrations, and desires to anyone that you feel needs to have that information. Welcome back to Speech Science Episode 83. We are proud members of the Exceptional Podcast Network. I'm your host, Matt Hot, back from being sick, joined, as always, by my friend out in Philly, Michael McLeod. What's up, buddy? And we are going doubles tonight. Uh, Michelle is taking care of a few things on the homestead, but we figured we needed to get a show back up and out to you guys. Holy cow, has it been a while? We dropped the episode while I was down in Disney during the uh, about 35, 40 days ago. And then I caught the Disney plague, Mike. Oh, man, that's not good, man. <laughs> that's a lot of a, a lot of magical. It's a magical plague. Oh, my gosh. It was a magical plague that took almost 14 days of or of antibiotics and 10 days of steroids. I figured I should have just went to the gym and pumped iron on all those days of steroids. But, my gosh. Well, we I'm happy not, to be back. We could not do the show without you, man. You are the, you are the heart and soul. So, we, we waited. Uh, I know a lot of our, uh, our audience and our fans out there were really upset and they were clamoring for a new episode. But here we are. And we only we only produce quality content. Oh, that is a good point. And before we jump into the show, we want to hear from you. So we want to tell you how to find us. Head on over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com. That'll link you to all of our friends over at the XPN Network. Also, you can check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash speechsciencepodcast. Or give us a phone call, 614-681-1798. Email us, speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. Or Michael well, may interact with you personally on the social side. How do they find us on, on Instagram? Our Instagram is quite active these, these days. Uh, you can find us at speech underscore science, and you can tag your pictures with the hashtag SSPod. We'll find that and we'll repost it for you. Now, if you are one of the people that have emailed us, we got a couple emails over the break. Uh, no one asking how I'm doing, probably because no one knew how I was. So I'll just accept that i guess but the first one coming from some i'm, I'm going to mispronounce the name so i apologize ahead of time uh, dr simone holes hughes 
from California, uh, wrote in about our LGBTQ competency conversation we had a couple weeks ago uh, and said that she agrees with us that she, however, she does feel that she wished that we would have taken a harder stance uh, on the ethical side of it. Um, and you know what? I can't disagree. And I, and I apologize to her in email if we came out uh, not hardcore on the ethical side, but she does make a point. We don't get to decide based off of our ethics not to treat somebody because we don't agree with them. Absolutely. I, I could not agree more. So, so that's, that a was, great, that, that's a great email. I'm very glad she sent that and, and yeah. raised that because, you know, sometimes us as hosts, you know, just because we're hosts doesn't mean we're experts. And, uh, <laughs> and especially, especially today, we're, we're really representing our field so well today, representing the two <laughs> top two percent you and me oh my gosh but no and you make a good point michael sometimes we say something on here and we think that we are saying it the right way and it comes out the wrong way and then it lives for infamy uh on the podcast downloads on speedsciencepodcast.com uh, our other email came in from austin foster uh he lives in birmingham alabama and he attended the university of nebraska for a semester uh and a few other places and he just wanted to reach out and say he's great uh, grateful for us and uh, he loves working in the field of an slp so there you go he's got a voice and vocal pedagogy 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 uh <laughs> so that is what he uh, is interested in so welcome to the three percent of slps being male i thought it was two it's like 2.8 i'm rounding up man oh well <laughs> oh, but we know. do want to hear from you. The If you are part of the 3% or the 97%, hit us up, speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. So, Michael, roughly in 35 days, what have you been up to? Oh, man. Uh, well, in the past 35 days, I think the last time we were wrapping up school, and now here we are in full swing of things in the summertime. Um, I always think things are going to be a bit more laid back in the private practice world, but they are not. Uh, very, very busy with tons of documentation, lots of report writing, tons of evals, uh, a lot of work still with the early intervention crowd. Uh, so things have been incredibly busy, uh, but I've been trying to enjoy my weekends and enjoy because I'm a summer guy. I love summer. So trying to go out there and have a good time. But the speech life is calling. Dude, it never ends. I, I got a small break from doing home care when I was sick. But that was still you had to call patients and say, hey, uh, I'm laying on my couch and can't stay awake for more than two hours. Please, you're going to get somebody else or nobody this week. Exactly. Um, other than that, I got back healed this week, took the kids bowling and took the kids to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, not to look for aliens, but to show my son awesome spacecraft and presidential airplanes. So that was pretty cool. You were looking for aliens. I was there. You were. I Unironically, they sell alien uh, toys in the Wright-Patterson Air Force Base Museum gift shop. Okay. So I don't know if it's ironic or unironically that you can buy a blow-up green alien. That is definitely unironic. <laughs> <laughs> On today's show, we're going to discuss a little bit about a popular movie uh, showing more inclusion of people with disabilities. Also... Have you heard of Inspiroporn? We're going to talk about that in a study exploring the role and needs of classroom teachers in supporting the mental health and well-being of deaf and hard of hearing students. But I thought we'd start off with a 
fun little article from the leader, uh, five strategies to help families act as a speech and language coach. Michael, you work on the private practice side. How important is the family coach uh, into what you're doing? Uh, honestly, depending on the individual case, uh, typically when it's in that birth to five range, even some, some uh, el early elementary age, as well as the executive function functioning that I specialize in, this is crucial. It's absolutely crucial. And this is honestly, it, at, with some families, this could be 70 per eight to 80% of the treatment. Uh, so I'm working with a student one-on-one. -on -one. We have the treatment plan where we have all the different interventions that I'm using. Uh, but training the family and making sure that they have the appropriate responses, that they stay on schedule, that they are withholding uh, gratification in different areas, whether it's taking the games away, taking the screens away, uh, read it, reading to their kids more often. There are so many different things that uh, families need to do to enhance our therapies. So I, this is just one of those many things that uh, needs to be touched on, I, I believe, more at the graduate level. Uh, I think we focus a lot on individual disabilities and, dis and disorders that we're going to treat. So we, we focus a lot on treatment and diagnostics, but the ability to interact with parents, coach parents, share information, uh, that is something that you really can only get on the job. And it is such an unbelievably crucial part of our field because if you're not sharing information with the parents, then treatment is not going to be as strong as you would hope. Well, I work on the rehab side with adults in the afternoon, and I'm working schools during the school year. Um, and I try to explain to parents and, and family members that just because I work with the adult or the student for 45 minutes a week, that doesn't mean that they're going to get better because of that 45 minutes or two hours. They're 24 hours in a day that they can be doing stuff at home. Uh, and I try to get that into them saying, hey, just me coming twice a week or once a week isn't going to get you back to where you want to go uh, independently. You got to try some strategies at home. And Susan Sylvia has five strategies that we can use with parents uh, to try to help create family coaches. Uh, and Michael, I'm going to read these to you. And then you kind of tell me what this would look like, I guess, maybe in, in your setting. And then I can kind of explain how it would look in my school setting, maybe. Okay. Uh, first step, she says, is try an episodic care model. Uh, it offers a definitive start and stop date of focus and skilled intervention. Um, with continuous ongoing treatment can cause children and families to burn out. So what does that mean in like your private practice realm, like an episodic care model? Um, this really, it really depends. Um, uh, this is really more of like, a, you don't really have too much of a definitive stop date. Mm -hmm. uh, that I think that's typically more of uh, more schools or rehab or insurance-based type of things. Okay. Um, but I tend not to discuss stop dates because it's so unknown and it's such a gray area. Mm -hmm. But uh, really kind of staying in the moment. With parents, usually there's so much going on and there's so much overwhelm and so much anxiety and so much stress. Uh, I, I, I do a lot to coach them in the moment, in the day, and if they if they notice a certain amount of things in one day, they were successful. And then we kind of just grow from there. Okay. I know in the schools, you're right. Like we do have a definitive stop date and then they get the two months to three months off during the summertime. But I've been getting better during evaluation time with ETRs, trying to explain to parents that speech therapy in a school is not a lifetime model. 
and that once we build the skill set, we're going to try to get out and try to teach the parent how to carry over uh, following the dismissal from speech. At least that's the goal. Yeah. Uh, they say make the family goals a priority. I know in the schools, they love to tell us what their family priority is or their family goal is. And, and sometimes it matches up. But unfortunately, in the schools, my hands are tied by academic goals. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think that's something that that we can that, that we also have to communicate to them as well. Uh, if if we have more academic goals or our treatment is not going exactly as they would like, I think we also have to have the skills to explain to them why we're working on what we're working on. Uh, it says find out best routine for practice. So this is basically uh, they're saying help the families find a way to practice their version, I guess, of the home speech and language. I try to do that in schools, but I have a hard time sometimes in schools because if I'm working on a main idea for a academic paper, it's a little bit different than what the parent wants uh, sitting in the home setting. Yeah, I think this is uh, this is a very, very big thing, and it's a very one of the easier things for parents to do. Uh, so this is just giving them simple little moments of exposure, simple little moments where they can practice these speech goals. Uh, like, for instance, when they're walking somewhere, they can just stop and point to the doorknob and wait for the kid to say open before you open the door or teach parent. You know, so many kids, um, so many parents I meet, their kids are still grabbing their hands and dragging them to the refrigerator or the freezer for food. And there's so many different things they can do, uh, looking for a gesture, looking for a sign, looking for an approximation, a word, uh, before they're able to fulfill that goal of giving them the food. Um, and also, I also, one thing I coach my executive function families is sometimes when you're just sitting watching TV or the, or the, or the kids playing a game and you're in the room, just kind of ask them different questions about, uh, about the Ooh, game. Uh, what, idea. what is the character thinking? What are they feeling? How does the other person affect them? I mean, a big thing with executive functioning is a lack of if then cause and effect thinking. So, so any way you can kind of build that cause and effect thinking, whether they're watching a movie, a TV show, or a game, uh, that, that's just such a quick and easy way to kind of practice that, that mindset. It's funny you say that, and I'm going to say something that's probably going to upset you, so I apologize. Right. Uh, I bought the bullet while I was sick and bought my son Minecraft for the video game system we have. Uh-huh. And he and I, and the, only, the rule is that he can play it when I play it with him. But we have managed to turn it into a lot of language time. This is for the six-year-old. And we talk about, you know, we got to protect ourselves from pig zombies or something and creatures that turn into fire and explode stuff. So we've been talking about which kind of material we need, how high to build it. So we're, tr and you know, why our guy would be scared or anything like that. So I'm trying to turn it into language moments and not let my son's brain uh, get melted by the Minecraft uh, Minecraft gods. Oh yeah, you definitely know what you're doing. <laughs> you, you definitely know. Screens are fine and technology is fine, but there has to be limits. It can't. It, it can't be. Oh, the kid wants to play. Give it to him. Kid wants to play. Give it to him. And there has got to be some sort of parental authority. There has to be limits. It's it's as simple as that. You can have the screens. You can have the games, but there the the kid has to know that this is not a free roaming thing where they play whenever they want. I did have a what would Michael say moment, and this is when I turned off the game, was we were playing and we were building this big old mansion thing. And You've played the game, right? Of course. Okay, so for anyone that hasn't played Minecraft, 
Uh, the easiest way I could explain it, because I just started playing it like two weeks ago, is it's Legos meets The Sims. Okay, that works. Fair. So works. we're we're building this big mansion, and all of a sudden, like I realized that we were talking the whole time, and then all of a sudden, I realized that we might have stopped talking for the last forty minutes while we were playing. And I just looked at my son and I said, "We got to go to bed." Like in my brain, I was saying, "Oh my god, Michael would be so mad at me that we just spent forty minutes, and I think we said like one word to each other." Yeah, well, that's that's <laughs> that's gonna happen. That's gonna, especially when you have multiple kids like you do, and when, oh, when, when you have. My- two month long sicknesses like you get <laughs> screens are okay my brain went into shutdown mode uh getting back to this article uh it says find oh we did that one focus on child strengths we do that in the schools and i tried to send home paperwork uh to the parents or, to, or at least emails talking about what they did right and trying to continue to build on the strengths versus looking at the weaknesses i'm, I'm assuming it's probably the same in private practice Oh, of course, of course. This is this is a strengths-based approach. Seems to be the one uniform thing for, in my opinion. And please send us an email or a text if I'm wrong here. But a strengths-based approach seems to be best practice for just about all speech therapy, all populations, all situations, whatever it may be. Always take a strengths-based approach. I do that with every single kid, every single family, bar none. Before I even meet them. I know I'm taking a strengths-based approach, period. So this is a this is a great thing to, to teach parents because sometimes parents get a little caught up on what their kids aren't doing or comparing their kid to other parents' kids and things like that. So getting them to recognize what their kid is doing, how their kid is unique, how they're important, uh, what they're doing that's good, uh, I, think, I think it's our job to, to express that to them. It doesn't have to all be, oh, your kid's not talking enough or they're not functioning well. Mm-hmm. It can be, you know what? He's very mature. He's very kind. Uh, there's, there's so many different things that, that makes a kid great. Uh, and the last step that uh, Dr. or I'm sorry, Sylvia, uh, Susanna Sylvia uh, mentions in this article is to take advantage of your f- uh, uh, phone phone's camera. And this is something that I never even think about doing. But she says, basically, take pictures of the activities, videotape yourself doing an activity, and then invite the parents to videotape and take pictures and send them to you. And then you can help them critique or or fix or I guess help and make it implement better strategies at home. I've never done that in the schools. And I feel like if I take one thing away from the article, this is something that I might have my parents start doing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I um, I recommend this a lot for parents. Uh specifically for kids who really need that visual feedback. So a lot of kids who are working on, uh, you know, whether it be an R, like uh, this is more of like articulation and apraxia for me. So if a kid is working on like the T8 sound or R or TDN, or they have a lisp, uh, so they're working on the S's and the Z's and things like that, to always give them to, to use that reverse camera so they're looking directly. It's the same thing as using a mirror in therapy. So oh, using, I see what you're doing there. Yeah, the exact same thing. So, so you know, all those therapies where uh, a mirror is a necessity, you can teach parents just use your phone. Use your phone, and it's instantly motivating for the kid, and they're able to get that visual feedback and look directly at their mouth as they're practicing their sounds. I have to laugh. Like, I remember when I first came into the field, uh, I was given this three-foot-tall, two-foot-wide folding mirror that I could take everywhere, and I put that on the shelf of my desk, opened up my iPad's camera, and I have never used a real mirror since 
because it's so much easier and quicker to and easier to carry a small iPad than a giant mirror in my bag. Yep, there you go. <laughs> we want to hear from you. How are you helping make your family speech and language coaches? Head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com, or email us, speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com, or text us, 614-681-1798, or tell Michael what you're doing on Instagram, uh, hashtag SSPod. Yes, sir. That is still a thing. And also on Twitter, it's Speech Science uh, PC. Our next article is coming out of the Language, Speech, and Hearing Services in Schools uh, journal off of the Asha Wire. Uh, it's a qualitative exploration of the role and needs of classroom teachers in supporting the mental health and well-being of deaf and hard-of-hearing children. Um, we're not going to go into the complete details, but we'll discuss the conclusion. I, I work in schools, and this is not a big surprise to me because... I think that the teacher who's in the classroom seven hours a day is going to be the biggest support system for any of our kids with special education. A hundred percent. My for, my main takeaway from this article is that this is just a, it's a very small sample size. It's very specific. It's very, it's made very specific for uh, the deaf and hard of hearing kids, but this is just a, a small microcosm of the bigger issue here. And this is the rise of awareness of mental health, especially in school-age children. So this, this article touches on those, uh, the, the population of deaf and hard of hearing, but the role that teachers play in observing kids uh, and recognizing the signs of any sort of mental health uh, in terms of social isolation, uh, lack of appetite, uh, falling asleep, things like that, whatever it may be, uh, for them to be more aware of mental health issues with their students uh, is crucial. It's absolutely crucial. And I think we're going to see more and more of this mm -hmm. as, as the years go on, because we're finally starting to give uh, mental health its due. It, it's, yep. no lo it's, it's no longer, oh, this kid is weak or this kid is lazy. Uh, we're really starting to look more at mental health. And I, I think we're still in the infancy stages of this because I do think the majority of people will still instantly think, oh, this kid is just lazy or weak mm -hmm. or, or unmotivated or uh, socially isolated or awkward, whatever it may be. But this is classroom teachers, uh, you know, uh, chronically underpaid, overworked. But here's another thing that they can do that can save a lot of lives. And if you work with students that are hard of hearing or, or deaf, um, this would be the article that you need to take into your principals because the, su the study suggests that classroom, resor the classroom resources are needed and teacher professional develop are needed to enhance the classroom teacher's understanding of how to support the mental health and well-being of deaf and hard of hearing students. Uh, Michael, you hit it right on the head. Like we've got students that retreat into themselves and if our staff doesn't know what to look for, our students could be in trouble down the line. hundred percent, hundred percent. So th this is something that I think is going to become, uh, hopefully become more of a mandatory training, uh, something to kind of be aware of. And uh, also, you know, outside of the classroom teachers, there needs to be mm -hmm. more counselors at schools. There needs to be more just overall uh, entire school wide trainings. This is not just classroom teachers. I think they, they do have enough on their plate but there's so many other people within that school building who can identify these issues as well. 
I don't remember where I was watching it this weekend. It was either like on a Facebook news site or one of those YouTube videos that kind of pop up. But it was a news story talking about a student who was recognizing their teacher. Uh, it was a student with autism who was recognizing their teacher uh, because they identified in him um, like the the initial thoughts for suicide. And the teacher intervened and, and got the kid the help he needed. And he was graduating and he recognized her and there were tears. And I really wish I could find the link because it was such a sweet little story about the kid talking about uh, where he was in a dark place and the teacher that got him out of it and helped him graduate. So Nice. But okay. again, I wish I could find the link, but it was one of those things where you're laying on the couch surfing one of the many Reddit, YouTube, or Facebook sites. And you're like, oh, look, here's a, a cool video. So, okay. Yeah. We want to hear from you. Tell us what you are doing to help with the mental health of students in your area of expertise. Head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com or email us speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com or give us a phone call or text at 614-681-1798. Coming back after the break, we're going to talk about which Disney movie is showing more inclusion for students with disabilities and Inspiro porn, kind of like what we just talked about, but a little bit different. You're listening to Speech Science. Do you have an idea for a product or book? Or are you ready to go beyond in-service presentations? Well, how do you get started? And what if you don't have any business experience at all? Well, I have some great news for you. I'm Mailing Chan, and I'm getting the nitty-gritty stories from parents, teachers, therapists, advocates, and people with disabilities who have created successful businesses, and they're sharing their intimate stories with you. Listen to us on the Exceptional Leaders Podcast and fast-track creating and building and sharing your idea with the world so that you can help more people. Welcome back to Speech Science, episode 83. I almost said 82. It's been way too long since we did this. I'm Matt Hot, joined, as always, by the dulcet tones of Michael McLeod. <laughs> What's up, buddy? And if you are wondering where the our female compart- uh, compatriot is, uh, she is taking care of a few things uh, on her home side. So we are putting together an episode, and we hope we do Michelle Proud uh, sans Michelle this week. Yes, absolutely. Michelle has a much more important job uh, than being an SLP, and that's called that's called being a mother. Yeah, and hopefully we we do her proud, and she's not embarrassed to come back. So <laughs> that could that could happen. That could happen. It's a legitimate fear. This is what happens when you leave the boys in charge. Anywho, that's right. all right. So uh, in a little bit, we're going to talk about a Disney movie, but right now I want to talk about a. A topic that I heard for the first time about a week ago called Inspiro Porn, or in, it's inspirational porn. What it is, is when somebody snaps a picture of somebody doing something good and then shares it and says, look how good this person is. Uh, it could be a video of a coach putting in a student with autism and they score five baskets in a row and everyone says, look how awesome this moment is. Uh, it could be the football player uh, with Down syndrome where they are running the touchdown, a hundred yards touchdown, and the other team is falling down to fake tackle uh, this, the football player. Uh, there is an article. This one is actually a blog posted 
by Erin, a Southern girl who is a graduate student at the University of Kentucky. Uh, and she says that one of the most difficult things that those of us with disabilities face is most any situation is the fact that the media often portrays any sort of challenge as heroic. The term used by individuals with disabilities is inspiroporn, meaning that the stories and other portrayals are usually framed with the notion that people with disabilities and the stories involving us are newsworthy. They're, quote, magical or something similar. And, Mike, we were talking in break. You just saw one uh, last week, right? Uh, this was not uh, last. This was like probably was, two or two or three years ago. Oh, was that how uh, long ago? This it was a Florida State wide receiver. His name was uh, <gasps> Travis Rudolph. Uh, he sat with a young boy with autism with red hair. I remember. I remember the picture because it became viral. And the, the only reason I know this so well was, of course, number one, the picture was amazing. And then the player ended up getting drafted by the Giants later. Uh, so it's. Um, you know, it was just such a, such an awesome picture. And I, I was so happy when the, when the giants got him and he was obviously such a stand up dude. And the picture mm -hmm. was just, was truly inspirational. So many people and it, and it got passed around for all the right reasons. Uh, so I know I loved it. I thought it was freaking amazing. I'm obviously a speech pathologist who works with these populations, but I, I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. So I think the 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 term inspiroporn or, or you know whatever we want to call this, I think it's more related to the media spreading it around and how we spread it on Facebook. That makes sense. Because I mean I get it. Like if if the football player is sitting, you know, if the star quarterback is sitting with the socially outcast students that might be some of our kids with autism, and doing it only to get the social media likes. I'm totally against that. I, I, I don't like that. But I coach a high school sport. Um, most of my students, I think all my students are typical students. But we've bowled against other teams who have put students in with disabilities if we're winning by a lot or losing by a lot. And I never took it as a hand-me-down or, wow, this is something magical that the student is doing. I took it as like the coach was recognizing one of the players that was good enough to be on his team. But I could see how if you're at home with a disability and they show the same clip of the football player dodging football people falling down, how that could be very aggravating that it says, look at this person with, with a disability. Look how great they worked by just getting on the field. Yeah, yeah. I think – you know, to be fair, the individuals in those videos always seem to be smiling and jumping and just having mm -hmm. a great time, even though, you know, it's us sitting there watching the videos and it's, you know, you can see like all the other players are purposely, purposely falling and they're doing it just for them. You know, it's the individual in the video seems to be enjoying it, but I could certainly see the other flip of the coin where people are seeing this and seeing, you know, this is this is not inspirational why are they doing this they're going out of their way to to single this person out uh the way i've always looked at it is you know here are these typically here are these typical individuals going out of their way to do something kind for a special needs person uh like for instance uh that that wide receiver who sat with the boy at lunch there was the story that the boy was just sitting by himself for months and months and months and then here comes this this star football player and he sits with them. And I think it, I think 
I like to believe that it opens up other people's minds when they see that. And they and people, I'm sure people thought to themselves, oh, I know someone who sits by themselves. Hmm. I know someone who doesn't have a lot of friends. Maybe I can go talk to them. So if, if it does that, if it helps one socially isolated person be less socially isolated, I see some positive out of it. There's always going to be a, a grass is always greener approach. There's some people not being I happy with saying. it or whatever. But I think there's a lot of positivity that, that can come from it. But of course, I'm not in the population who's 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 allowed to speak their mind about this. They are. So I, I mean it goes I, yeah. I mean I'll it goes back to what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, like what you just said, where we talked about the terminology. Is it an autistic person or a person with autism? Exactly. Uh, exactly. You're right on there. Uh, I was just I Googled Inspiroporn and it actually um there are a couple groups that are pretty happy uh, uh, with the show Speechless. Uh, it just recently was canceled on ABC, but they said that they avoided Inspiroporn. Did you ever watch Speechless? I have not. It is hilarious because, and and kind of looking through this little article from The Hollywood Reporter on, on Speechless, avoiding Inspiroporn, because they didn't make it seem like JJ, or uh, I think his name was JJ, uh, who was the the student with, with in the wheelchair? Wasn't like oh my gosh, everything he is doing is such a miracle. It was more he's just the big brother that happens to have a disability. Uh, oh, okay. One of the funniest things I've ever seen on TV is uh, the lead character is in a wheelchair and he points to the words he wants to say, and there was this guy beating like bullying his younger brother. And his younger brother had to read the words that his brother was pointing out. And his brother in the wheelchair was yelling at the bully through the voice of his younger brother. And his younger brother was mortified because he was afraid he was going to get beaten up by this bully because of the way his brother uh, was yelling at him. Okay. All right. <laughs> so it wasn't like, here's the, the student with disability being a miracle worker. It was, here's just him being a big brother but it creates other situations for the younger brother. Sounds entertaining. <laughs> but I don't know, man, like this inspire report is blowing up and I'm kind of redirecting on how I share things on Facebook. I'm kind of starting to avoid share, resharing some of these links, I guess. No, you can share whatever you want. <laughs> people can, people can put that little sad face if they need to. Oh, that's fair. And get all upset, but you you do what you need to do. That's Michael your... McLeod at Michael at speechsciencepodcast.com. No. You do your thing, man. You do your thing. Don't be affected by uh inspiral porn hate. I'm in I'm so affected by everything I read these days. We want to know how are you handling that. Head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com, and you can email us speech science at g or speech science podcast at gmail.com. Our last story is a positive story about a movie that has come out about a week and a half ago, and I really need to see it because it is the fourth chapter in my childhood slash realistic life, Toy Story. Have you seen this, Michael? Out of Asha, they're saying there's a cochlear implant child in Toy Story. I saw a picture of it. I saw uh, from one of the many SLP Facebook groups I'm a part of, I saw someone sharing it and posting it. Uh, I think it's great. I don't know how long this child was on the screen for, I don't know if it was acknowledged that they have that or what else was presented, but the fact that Disney thought to throw that in there, it, I, that's something I will always applaud. What I love the most about it 
is that it wasn't brought up by Disney. It wasn't brought up by Dis- or like to- any of the Pixar people. It wasn't showcased. It was just, here's a student in the background that if you are a student with a cochlear implant or a child with a cochlear implant, you might see somebody on screen and go, yep, that could be me. That, okay. And that's about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. I like that. I, and I feel like that's how we need to start looking at inclusion in movies yep. is that it, it shouldn't be because I think I would have a major groan moment and I haven't seen this movie yet because our house has been plague city for the last month. But I think I will have a major groan moment if the toys have to fix her cochlear implant or something. Yeah, that'd be a bit much. I don't think they're qualified. Right. But you know what I'm saying? Like, oh my gosh, we got to get her batteries or something. And it's like, no, just let her be a, a character. There was something in the, do you ever watch the walking dead? No. And well, okay. But one of the, uh, I guess, bad guys was a wheelchair bound. Okay. And it wasn't like a big conclusion. Um, it was just kind of like, yep, he's in a wheelchair and a truck driver. And that's about it. Like it was no like, oh my gosh, how do we, get this going one way or the other. Does that make sense? Kind of. Well, like, oh, you're in a wheelchair. We got to make a big deal out of it. It was just more like, um, nope, he's in a wheelchair. Yeah. And it was actually uh, Daryl Mitchell who was in Galaxy Quest. Did you ever see Galaxy Quest? With uh, Tim Allen? Yes. Of course. Uh, So he played Tommy Weber, the little kid that grew up driving the, the spaceship. Yep. He was in an accident uh, a few back in 2001, he was paralyzed from the waist down in a motorcycle accident. Wow. So he's still acting, but now he acts in a wheelchair. And there was no like, there were a couple scenes where he just had to like attach his wheelchair to the front of the truck and get into the truck and that kind of stuff. But it wasn't a big deal. And that's what I'm open with the cochlear implant that it's just a moment in the movie. And, and I would love to see more moments in movies where there's sign language or disability or something. Yeah. Yeah, I, it's for for it to be in Toy Story, which is such a popular movie, millions and millions of people are going to see it and to throw this out there. And but the only question I have is how many people outside of the speech and audiology community even recognize that there was this child was in the movie. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, it says that this is also part of the Runder, Ruderman white paper on the challenge to create more authentic disability casting and representation on TV, or in short, the Ruderman TV challenge. It's that the 20% of the U S population has a disability. Less than 2% of all TV characters have a disability. So, okay, there you go. Not bad. We want to hear from you. What have you seen on TV with a character in a disability? Uh, email us speech science podcast at gmail.com. Hit us up on the Twitters speech science PC on Instagram SS pod or text us 614-681-1798. Michael, I am excited over the next couple of weeks because I finally have my summer back and I'm going to get my son maybe off of training wheels and the youngest one, he's turning three in October. So we got to get him potty trained and talking in complete sentences like a scholar. That is what I've got on my table. What have you got on your table? Uh, pretty much just continuing the summer routine. Got a ton of, uh, a lot of evals, a lot of report writing, uh, a lot of work and collaboration with other professionals 
uh, within my area. So pretty much just uh, just prepping for September, as I feel like I'm always doing. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's so far so far it's been a great summer, and I'm and, and I'm hoping that it continues. Dude, I am not looking forward to September because I've got to get my new office set up in August. Oh boy! Uh, because I changed schools and had a major job change this year. So, well, it's going to be a great year. I hope so. Uh, coming up on the next couple of weeks for interviews, I'm excited because we will be airing uh, the hippotherapy uh, interview that Michelle did a couple weeks ago. I guess a couple months now ago. Uh, the interview with the Arizona school superintendent will be dropping. Also, we'll be talking to a dad who had enough of her of his daughter uh, being nonverbal and created his own communication app. Those interviews are coming up over the next couple of weeks over here on Speech Science. So I'm pretty excited by that, Mike. Speed Science sounds like uh, one of the best podcasts there is. Hey, did you see? I, I put a link and maybe I shared it. We are in the top 25 speech and language pathology uh, uh, podcasts for 2019. There's, there's over 25 SLP podcasts. I did not know that either, but there are. And we'll <laughs> put a link to that as well. Uh, right. We are up there with Teach Me to Talk. Our friend Teresa Richard over at Swallow Your Pride. We got First Bite, SLP's Wine and Cheese. Uh, Chris and Rachel over at Talking with Tech. There's a Speech Space podcast, the SLP Hoppy Hour, True Confessions, and then us at number nine, the Speech Science Podcast. Okay. All right. Hey, man, I'm happy for us. Like, that is a step in the right direction. We have done something right. Where is this ranking? Uh, it is over on somebody's blog. <laughs> so it's the, uno the unofficial rankings. Unofficial ranking. Yep. Okay. I don't know where we're going to rank with that, Michelle, though. Well, this. Well, they said they used it based off of using web search and social metrics, subscribers, and uh, audio quality. So. Well. We kick, we kick ass in all those all those categories. Uh, we do okay in audio quality. Everything else we're just scraping by, but we love you guys. Right. We want you. Where it's at. That's right. <laughs> all about the frequency, the speech banana. Yeah, no, it's not it's not the content. It is just the quality yeah, of the quality. audio. Like, but now the quality. <laughs> when, when I say quality pop podcast, I'm talking about the audio. Yeah, not not what we say. No, what is quality though is those of you that listen to us. We love you. We want to hear from you do all of those avenues and make sure you rate and review us that helps us find advertisers podcasting is cheap but it still costs a little bit and more podcasts uh more advertisers would help us cover those costs humble brag humble beg i guess i should say <laughs> humble beg yes humble beg oh all right well <laughs> i should do our ending now let me pull this up real quick i'm gonna edit that out real quick uh, three, two, one. As always, our intro music is Please Listen Carefully by Jazar. It's licensed under an attribution and share alike license. Our bump music is the County Fair Rock copyright of John Deku. You can find all his music at soundcloud.com slash dirt dog music. And our closing music, which is playing right now, it's The Slow Burn by Kevin McLeod. I reached out to the other Kevin McLeod to find out if this was the SLP Kevin McLeod. Mm -hmm. It's not. But okay. it's Kevin McLeod. It's licensed under a creative commons and attribution license. In the immortal words of Janice Wright, be a willow and not an oak in the storm of life. The oak looks strong, but the first wind will tear the oak down. The willow will bend over and return to form. For Michael McLeod, the absent Michelle Wintering, I'm Matt Hot. Until next week, so long, everybody. So long.
This has been an Exceptional Podcast Network production. Speech Science is edited and produced by MWH Production. Please follow Speech Science on Twitter at SpeechSciencePC and like our page on Facebook. For more original podcasts, please visit ExceptionalEd.com and rate and subscribe to our podcast anywhere you get your podcasts.